Super Alpha and Team of the Brass. Of course, this is Thule. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio making his monthly appearance on the program. It's his monthly appearance. He is a senior editor at Fangraphs.com. Jeff Sullivan. Jeff Sullivan is the guest. And unlike some of Sullivan's appearances on Fangraphs Audio, which tend to be far-flung and wide-ranging, what we have here is a different sort of an experiment, a conversation that uses Game 5 of the National League division series between the Los Angeles Dodgers and Washington Nationals as an entry point, really, for the entire conversation. In the course of that discussion, Sullivan learns that his last name, his surname, his Irish surname, the meaning of it is a synonym for anus. We discuss the similarities between young Nationals player Wilmer Defoe and the character Thersides from Homer's Iliad, book two of Homer's Iliad, and apropos of something, almost definitely apropos of something, Sullivan utters the following. I live by one rule, and I keep every baseball that I have ever held. My pockets are full of baseballs. All coming back, however, even that, all coming back to a discussion of the Dodgers and Nationals. Game five. Great game. Great game. Great long game. There is uh, no sponsor's message. If there were a sponsor's message, it would be from SeatGeek and SeatGeek.com, which I'll say again. It would be from SeatGeek and SeatGeek.com, but there is no sponsor's message. So instead, we go directly to a conversation. What is it? It is Fangraphs Audio. Who does it feature? Senior editor at Fangraphs.com, Jeff Sullivan. And when does it begin? Right now. Alpha, kind of a bad alpha. <laughs> I want to uh, bad alpha. I want to say this, Jeffrey, is that you have written what is um, something like a heartfelt, something something akin to a love letter to uh, the uh, game five of the NLDS between the Dodgers and uh, the other team there. Yeah, it's always. So every so often, especially during the playoffs, one finds himself up late writing something about a game that went a very long time, and sometimes posts take a little longer to arrange than others. So this one, I wound up finishing it. It felt like I don't know one thirty or two in the morning, and I know it must have been even worse on the East Coast, of course, by three hours. But that's later than I am accustomed to writing. That's later than I'm accustomed to doing anything. And so whenever these situations come about, it's always interesting to wake up in the morning and then look back at what you did. <laughs> that, that was published because you never know you never know if it's going to be uh received well if it's going to be received at all since i think it, it got published at like one thirty in the morning west coast time so i don't even know who was on twitter uh when that went up but yeah, yeah i yeah i can uh i'm familiar with i know in particular when uh not graphs still existed on the site uh-huh. i would occasionally be watching games after having had uh quite a bit to drink uh-huh and I would write it a celebratory, what I considered a celebratory message, uh, perhaps perhaps uh, swearing for emphasis, as one does. Uh-huh. For and emphasis. Then, but yes, yeah, but then I would wake up in the morning uh, and be like, oh, or I'd be like, yeah, with my, when my eyes would open, I would be like, did I, am I fired right now? <laughs> I never, never Should have been, were. probably. Well, yeah, yeah and um, you might still be fired between now and when this goes live. 
Good point. Did you, when you reread it, did you find anything that surprised you? Because actually, that's a great that that's actually a great pleasure. I mean, it provided it's a it's a it's a uh, you, you, not, not a fireable offense. Uh, but to, to be able to surprise yourself with your own writing is uncommon. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, I think no, I haven't reread it because I know that what I wrote was like eighteen hundred words, and I don't want to read a long form article about a game that I still remember vividly. But I'll probably reflect on it in uh, in a few weeks. I remember a few years ago, uh, I think it was what twenty eleven when the Cardinals won the World Series. That sounds right. Sure. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I have no idea. Yeah. But I, but the internet knows, and so it's fine. Yeah, and I believe their manager at that point would have been Tony La Russa. Sure, yeah, I'll take all these as facts. Yeah, let's go with that, whatever. That was the year they beat the Rangers. And so in 2011, I was full-time writer for SB Nation, and I was also writing on Look at Landing, the Mariners blog that I that I made. And so the World Series ended on a Friday night, and I had to write my, my post, whatever my reaction post was, that went on the SB Nation main baseball page. And then, because I didn't know how to stop, I felt obligated to put something up as well on Look at Landing. So I was basically doing double the work uh, for for no reason, writing about a Cardinals-Rangers World Series game on a Mariners blog at the end of October. But I felt compelled to write something, and I don't remember what it was. I remember it took several hours, and I remember finishing it at like 5.13 in the morning after having been up all day and all night watching baseball, and then... Uh, writing about it and i remember having the distinct impression somewhere around like 3 three thirty, that i don't really give a f- where this goes but i'm going to write thousands of words i'm going to publish them and then i'm going to go to sleep and i'm never going to look at this again so to this day i don't know what i wrote or how it was received but i sure <laughs> put an entire evening into it uh whatever it was well certainly uh probably not the most meaningless thing you've ever done uh, no, you know, no, you created something. Uh, uh, I, I, then again, then again, I think it's also should be clear that merely because one has created something that does not that's not necessarily good. There are, are many people who, if they created nothing, would have left the world a better place. <laughs> Absolutely. And you, you take a game like yesterday and one article doesn't matter because there are a thousand articles about that game yesterday. Many written by phenomenal writers, Annie McCullough, Tim Brown. Uh, other ones, Barry Svlerg, Sver, Barry oh, yeah. Sver, Barry S with the, with the Washington, uh, with the Washington, uh, Poster. post, I think post, I assume post, sure. probably not Washington Times, that one's a little, uh, so, yeah, no, it seems like really with an event like that, what should happen if, if the world were optimized was we would get together and we would designate one person to write the story of the game. And then everybody reads the story of the game. It would make things a lot easier for the players because they'd only have to give one interview. And then it would make things easier for the reader because they could just go to the one place. And then you wouldn't have to, like, chase around various anecdotes and lines from different writers. But then I guess there's there's not a lot of money in that for various outlets. Barry Zverluga. Yeah. I've even looked up how to pronounce it. And, I mean, he must address this all the time. Uh, He probably gets the question every day. And then he said, he said once when I looked it up, it's pronounced how it looks. And I thought, well, that doesn't help. It doesn't look like yeah, anything I recognize. Those are not consonants that one is typically accustomed to seeing uh, in, Engl- in Anglo words. Uh, Sullivan, Sullivan's an Irish word. I assume yeah. it's an Irish word, right? Uh, it's an, yeah. What does it mean? 
Do you know Sullivan? I don't know, but I, based on my history of looking these things up, the names usually seem to mean gift of God. Yeah. <laughs> What's the most meaningless thing you've ever done? Uh, well, you're, actually, the name means little dark eye. <laughs> Which is, I think, also a synonym for a butt. <laughs> that is exactly a sy- I am going to choose to confirm this. <laughs> Little dark eye? <laughs> so my name means butthole. Just to be clear. <laughs> oh, wow. I don't know how it lasted until nearly a 31st birthday for that to come clean, but okay. <laughs> I'm going to have to put together some paperwork in the coming year. Yeah. <laughs> you can take anyone else's name. <laughs> Jeff Sullivan, not hyphen butthole. <laughs> Jeff, no, not Sullivan. Well, whatever. You know what I mean. Yeah. Could really be anything else. Yeah. Well, <laughs> what the f*** does this stoolie mean? Son of the marsh dweller. No, that's what Carson means. Uh, Sestuli means basket weaver. Basket weaver. Yeah. Uh, that's, uh, a, that's a reasonable profession. This this Google result promises to tell me what Sestuli is in Chinese. I don't think okay. there's a Chinese translation of Sestuli. I'm not going to yeah, click the, that link. That's going to get me spam calls to my no, cell phone. Yeah. I don't think there's much use for that. No, I can't imagine that there would be. So what's the most no. meaningless thing you you can recall doing? Hmm... And don't say existing, because we all know. Yeah, I know, but like, um, oh yeah. So if you were to look at, and the, the the way I'd understand it best is like if you look at a Google trend map, right? And it'll say like like what terms have been you know Googled or or used just in in literature, X in literature, yeah. for certain periods. And you were to, um, and there was to be, but you had one of those trend maps, except just for meaning, like meaningful acts. Mm-hmm. That I've performed, it would be, I mean, it would be very close to zero the entire time. Mm-hmm. I think. Uh, I will say that my life has felt somewhat more meaningful recently uh, because I've been I've been uh, doing quite a bit of gardening. Uh huh. Yeah. How are we going to start talking about beans? N- not yet. No, uh, we're not going to talk about beans probably at all. But my point is that, uh, like, observing a thing grow and having had some sort of hand in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, is is very satisfying. Oh, for sure. I think you. What's the lowest level of having to take accountability for something aside from yourself is maybe you have a partner, but I mean, there's there's house plants, and then there's an actual garden, and then there's a pet, and then there's a child. Mm-hmm. And yeah, a child. Know, yeah. yeah, maybe yeah, somewhere yeah. in there, there's like an expensive vehicle. But I think mm-hmm. plants give you like I don't know. Let's give plants some credit. Two percent. Of the feeling of disappointment and or satisfaction you get from a natural offspring? Yeah. Well, actually, I will say that even uh, ruining the plants is still fine at this stage because I've, I've, um, my sense is I'm learning something, right? Right. So that's uh, – yeah. It's nice uh, – what's nice about it is it's an entire body of knowledge um, to which I you know, like have not been privy until this age. Mm-hmm. And so there's so much to learn. Um, which is the nice thing. Yeah. Which is like, pl- so, Go ahead. Well, like, um, like with regard to the sport that we both cover, um, that that's sort of one of the gifts of it as well, right, is is constantly producing data, not just quantitative data, but also qualitative data. Of yes. like, 
new new events and this sort of thing. So you constantly have the stream of information, and the benefit of it is, um, it's not tied. It's actually because it does not have great consequence. It is almost better for that for that for that reason. I mean, obviously, we're in a particularly um, uh, anxious, uh, a fretful news cycle currently (laughs) in terms of world events. Uh huh. Not even uh, world events necessarily. You can just focus local. Yeah, but there's a real ethic I think associated with that that one essentially has an obligation. You know, like in uh, like in what is the last scene of. Uh, Clockwork Orange, one has almost has an obligation to watch with the the his or her eyes pried open, <laughs> um, in order to essentially like earn his or her keep as a citizen of of the of the world <laughs> or of the nation. Uh-huh. That's like part of your obligation is to is to behold it. And uh, I don't necessarily agree with that, but I think I still suffer from some of that ethic. Whereas in uh, baseball, for example, right, you watch a game. And I think that it is generally accepted that nothing that occurs during the game itself is of any particular consequence. But I would argue that's actually its huge advantage. And I'm not arguing for it as a base of escapism. It's just that it provides it provides content that is not, generally speaking, that is not tainted by uh, gravity. The, yeah, gravity or the the sort of hysterics that are sometimes um, – or incivility, incivility, uncivility that sometimes mm-hmm. accompanies like actually, uh, you know, current events. Yeah. Well, I mean it's sometimes – sometimes it is and you can look at a case of like that Blue Jays fan throwing a beer at Hyun Soo Kim. But it's, you know, genuinely low consequence incivility is just people like kind of getting mad about sports as opposed to people kind of getting mad about the world – and their their lives within it. Uh, right. What I think I like the most about baseball, it's not an original thought to point out that the, the discrete nature of the game uh, makes it, I think, uniquely able to be analyzed. Uh, this is, of course, why I think sabermetrics has existed in baseball longer than such analysis has existed in any other sport and why I think the analysis is always going to be better in baseball because everything does really come down to a batter versus a pitcher cleanly separated. It's not so much of a team uh, concept, but I think uh, what greatly appeals to me about baseball as well is it functions so well. You could make a textbook for any number of different subjects, whether it be statistics or, I guess, even basic math or just critical thinking. Like baseball is great for a liberal arts college, I guess, because it can give you such a foundation of how to think through things. Because there are constant experiments that you can do a lot of analysis to figure out what's better, what's what's worse. And baseball might give you just one of the cleanest examples of where you where you want to worry about process over results. I mean, how how often have we talked about the dangers of results based analysis? But people are prone to that because, of course, results are what actually what you actually feel in the short term. But life, not unlike baseball, is a nearly infinite series of distinct events and there is a large enough sample size that over time you figure those who make the right decisions most often are going to derive the most benefit. So when I used to complain 
to co-writer Matthew Carruth about the meaningless of doing what we were doing, he was saying, well, you know, I think that the value in what we do, aside from trying to entertain readers, is helping teach people how to think. And I know that sounds a little arrogant, as if we have all the answers, but I think baseball is a really valuable model in in that regard. Oh, yeah, I got got two things here. First of all, I agree with you. I, I absolutely, I would echo your sentiments regarding the, the obviously the import the degree to which uh, the sport reveals the importance of process over product or you know process over outcome and i would actually suggest that it's not it's not preposterous to think that there is some sort of therapeutic effect i know that well i speak from my own personal experience for me there was a therapeutic effect to that mm-hmm. is that because one cannot always control his or her circumstances mm-hmm. right but if you can, if you feel as though you have some control over the over your reaction to those circumstances, that that is at certain level empowering, and that is a lesson which uh, which the sport teaches, I think, on a constant basis, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, once I make contact with this ball, uh, um, I don't have a lot of control over it. Even if I've hit it well, we know like, what was the. Uh, when Joe Blanton came in yesterday uh-huh. versus was it Anthony Rendon? I feel like who, it was Rendon. Yeah, who lined a ball? Uh, I think it was. I think it, I think I saw um, uh, baseball. Of yeah, Darren, Darren uh, Willman. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he quoted. I think it was roughly sixty-nine percent of the time. Nice, sixty-nine percent <laughs> of the time. That uh, sorry. That um, <laughs> did that did that uh, becomes a hit. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think so, he hit it like 110 miles per hour right up the middle. Yeah, and if you if you're if you're Anthony Rendon, if you're Anthony Rendon, right? And, and uh, there are a lot of ways in which uh, you and I, certainly I, cannot identify with Anthony Rendon, right? Mm-hmm. Um, just just like there are a lot of ways that I can't identify with a lot of people. But <clears throat> then, then I ask myself, have I ever found myself in a situation where I thought, where I thought I mostly did what I could? And then the outcome was unappealing. Mm-hmm. Then that's helpful. And you know, you could say, well, Anthony Rendon is a superior athlete, but we also just saw him, you know, for all intents and purposes, fail. Mm-hmm. And so, I think that does some, something like that gives you permission to fail, uh, provided you're, you know, you're relatively and while while and while also understanding that you could have, you know, more or less done what you what you're capable of doing. So you were you were clearly watching the game. Did you watch the whole thing, or much yeah, of the whole thing? Yeah, I did. Unfortunately, or I started a little <laughs> late. I started well, a little late, yeah. and then I just uh, and I watched the last like two innings, maybe, mm-hmm. um, in in my bed on my phone, like on the <laughs> Sling app, and bar- barely awake though. Now you, I know you were three hours behind, so it must have been what, like ten o'clock or something like that. Yeah, it was, it was not so bad. I felt worse for Dave because he had to live blog the whole thing. Yeah. Still fortunate though he's still on the West Coast. He probably wouldn't oh, yeah. decide he wouldn't have done that probably if he were still no, on the East Coast. No, absolutely. I think also if you remember a little later, so Rendon lined out in what could have been a, a big bat, and he he did one of the best things he could do, and he made it out. And then in the in the seventh inning, the go ahead hit by Carlos Ruiz was on a like one of those in between grounder line drive singles that Rendon dove, and the ball just hit off the side of his glove and, and like went past yeah. him. And it, if Rendon makes that diving play, and it was not an easy play, he had to go full extension dive, but if he 
if he gloves that ball, which he very nearly did, it's a pretty easy double play because it's Carlos Ruiz running and then it's going to the bottom of the seventh, 1-1, and the game is completely different. So for Rendon, that was particularly frustrating. And then I think, I, I'm not sure, but I think it was actually Rendon's spot in the lineup at the end of the game, but because of Baker's maneuverings, it wound up being Wilmer Defoe trying to hit the best pitcher in the world. So... For any number of reasons, I think Anthony Rendon has probably had a, a pretty sleepless evening. <laughs> yeah, well, you, right, but but it, I mean, it's, at a certain point, it's just a question of circumstance, right? There's, not, you're not really saying <clears throat> Anthony Rendon could have done much different given no. his particular set of abilities. Uh, he did not seem to fail con, uh, conspicuously. He just mm-hmm. uh, never. He he was just kind of. Uh, uh, just not in the ideal circumstances, I guess, there's, or even I think there's, there's two parts to this. The first part, and I think the easier part, is understanding when you've done a good thing and it just didn't work out. And then the second part is actually allowing that to sink in and not lamenting your misfortune if if you did the right thing and it didn't work out. Where the fact of the matter is we are biased by the by results. Even writers who talk about the dangers of results-based analysis are biased by results. And, you know, like if Clayton Kershaw hadn't gotten the save yesterday, uh, you probably wouldn't see so many articles talking praising the move just because you, there would be less uh, inclination to write that article because it would look kind of, kind of silly. So Rendon, I'm sure, realizes he did about all he could to stop that Ruiz grander, and he did everything he could to drive in a run in the second or third inning, whenever it was. But still, he would have gone home and thought, well, why did that happen? have to happen to me then, under those circumstances, when I could have been the hero? And that's got to be heart-wrenching, because that's just the nature of a one-game sample, I guess. Yeah, the, uh, I believe the quote is, history is written by the Dodgers. <laughs> It's famously. Uh, to your, to, not really to your point, to Matthew Carruth's point. So, um, when you say what, um, when you might contend to Matthew Carruth, this, writing about this is meaningless. Uh, and then Carruth says, well, there's some value, the value is that we are essentially helping, uh, readers learn what, what, about, about the, um, about the importance of the process versus, yeah, the I outcome. think just general critical thinking skills. Right. But I would also say <clears throat> that I have actually uh, – it, it it probably should not have taken this long, um, but it but I've been having this thought recently, um, especially since I've assumed more of an editorial role mm-hmm. uh, and, and is really read everyone's posts um, – that I've gotten a sense, and I actually uh, had this exact sense when I read your post when I woke up today. I think you published it four thirty Eastern time. Um, but <laughs> Dave told me to. Dave told me to. But um, here's here's what I wanted. Uh, I watched the game alone, mm-hmm. right? But although this might have been the case, even if I had watched it with other people, you you wake up and you still have you you still have the idea of the game in your head. I still had the idea of the game in my head, right? Mm-hmm. And I knew there was a lot of raw material there. And uh, I had followed along with uh, the Fangraphs chat a little bit yesterday. Mm-hmm. And but you, st- what? Th- honestly, you could have said very little of of import during it. 
what what was valuable though was just to see if just to verify that someone had else had seen what I had seen. So in a certain part, when at a certain point when you're writing that sort of article, you could just you know you could more or less just state the facts that occurred, mm-hmm. and then I as a reader say, yeah, that's exa- that's what I saw too. <laughs> um, but but that could be you know that could be one of the um, the reasons. You know I often think like you know like recently Dave Cameron wrote a piece about how you know uh, Julio Urias. Mm-hmm. Should start. I think at that point it was Game Four for the yeah. Dodgers. And then, like, I mean, that's just one example. Like years ago, he wrote a piece about a version of baseball that could be played. You know, it was only three innings or something like that. And I said, uh, yeah, at the time, I said, why? Like, what is this even? What's the point of this? It's not going to happen, right? Uh-huh. But I, I suppose it, it's, I suppose it's just to provide. Well, I mean, it's a thought experiment, and so there's value in that. But then it's also just to – so that we all – so we can maybe all agree or or we would disagree on certain points, but at least all work from a certain set of assumptions. Um, and it it serves as a sort of – as a foundation or an anchor in that sense. I'm, I, I, don't, I don't know if I'm quite getting at it, but I'm struggling to. Does, does that make sense? Any of it? Some of it. <laughs> I, I wasn't entirely sure. Uh, I, I'm not completely sure where you're going with the uh, the three inning game, uh, Dave Cameron post reference. Well, no, the point is like it's a proposal mm-hmm. to no one at that point. I didn't think mm-hmm. that point probably was still Bud Selig. Bud Selig's not gonna be like, you know what? Dave Cameron <laughs> has a great idea for the sport. Let's change it entirely. <laughs> uh, so, so then you say, why would we do that? Well, maybe you, maybe in reading it, you say. Well, yeah, you have identified Dave Cameron. You have identified certain uh, certain qualities of the game uh-huh. as, as it's constructed that that might be flawed and might uh, might be you know uh, might benefit from change. I think uh, in in a certain sense, certainly a lot of what we do with Fangraphs being the, the analytical people, or you take something like a three inning game proposal, and it's kind of like one of those it's like daily brain games that you use to like ward off Alzheimer's disease. Where it's mm-hmm. like you, you think through these problems that aren't even really problems, and you try to go into as many details and consider as many things as possible for no reason other than to just see if you can to try to keep your brain sharp, just like to try to find holes in things or to try to find I don't know keys to a matchup or or to identify oh maybe the Indians have this advantage over the Blue Jays or maybe the Blue Jays have this advantage over the Indians and you know it. The way things are actually going to play out, it's going to be decided by something completely different. For all I know, Kevin Pillar is going to bat 600 in the ALCS, and the Blue Jays are going to sweep. I don't know why that would happen, but it could. And that's nothing you could you could forecast, and that has its own sort of beauty. But it's it's like doing daily puzzles, baseball analysis. It's no different from doing uh, a crossword, where there's no reason for you to do a crossword puzzle. As you do a crossword puzzle, you're just spending an hour and a half getting closer to death. But you still do it. Because it's a little bit entertaining and you have some sense of satisfaction if you arrive at an answer uh, or a sense of frustration if you don't arrive at an answer. But then that's just something for you to work on because most of our pursuits are meaningless and then we are dead. Good point. Strong point. Factual. There's a scene in – I want to say this. In book, in book two of the Iliad. Do you ever read the Iliad there? Uh, maybe a young adult version. 
Yeah. So the Iliad. Okay. So in book two, what's essentially? I mean, a bunch is going on, but um, Agamemnon is in uh, all the big generals, right? They're up in front of the the Greek army. Mm-hmm. Um, this is uh, you know during the Trojan War or whatever. Just to be clear, and, didn't we spend our last podcast talking about the Trojan horse? Well, oh, yes, that's a good point. This is also <laughs> the same the same work, the same right. master work. Continue, stuff. please. Um, so what happens is right. So Agamemnon and probably Ajax or maybe uh, I don't know someone one of those other big guys up there, and they're all they're all talking. And and here's the, here's the thing: when you're reading the Iliad, you identify with the generals to some degree. Those are the characters through whom you're experiencing the the um, the, the, the narrative, right. right? But in in reality, we are not generals, right? Mm-hmm. Even frequently, the generals aren't the generals in the way that um, they are, you know, treated in in a book like the Iliad, because naturally, uh, you know, reality. Whatever the depiction of reality is, it's skewed. It's not how real life is. There are other, there, you know, everyone has sort of their own substantive narrative occurring simultaneously. But what I like about book two is, in the, <laughs> while all the generals are up on stage and one of them is holding a scepter, I think if you're holding a scepter, you can talk or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> gets up from the crowd like a soldier, just like soldier, you know, to be named later, so faceless, <laughs> nameless soldier. But he actually Glenn. has a name, huh? Glenn. Glenn, yeah. Well, in fact, his name is Thersides, but I don't know if he appears really anywhere else in any of the literature. Um, and can I just read to you what he does? Yes. Uh, this is what he does. This, this is from uh, the Iliad. I don't know which translation. Maybe Robert Graves. Who, who cares? Um, so this is all about Thersides, right? He got up in the assembly and he attacked Agamemnon in the words of Achilles, calling him greedy and a coward. Odysseus then stood up, delivered a sharp rebuke to Thersides, which he coupled with a, with a threat to strip him naked and then beat him on the back and shoulders with Agamemnon's scepter. Thersides doubled over, a warm tear fell from his eye, and a bloody welt formed on his back. He sat down in fear and in pace gazed helplessly as he wiped away his tear, but the rest of the assembly was distressed and laughed. <laughs> And this is the only time you see him. He just gets up and he says something reasonable, which is essentially like, uh, which is essentially like, you, why do you guys have all the money? Like, we're also fighting. Can you share it with us? <laughs> um, but he's described, first of all, he's described by, by Homer as vulgar and dull-witted. And then, <laughs> and then one of the generals yells at him and another beats him. And then he just starts crying and everyone laughs, laughs at him. It's the worst. It's like the worst case scenario. Except in reality, like, Thersides is by far the character with that most any of us resemble. Because <laughs> we're just part of these plotting masses, right? And I was thinking about this with regard to uh, last night's game. Because do you know who at least I am? Do you know in that game, do you know who I am? Please tell me. I'm Wilmer Defoe. I'm definitely <laughs> Wilmer Defoe. I'm, they're like, hey, buddy, you know how you had never really played a full season of Major League Baseball? Um, so good news and bad news. You get to play today. <laughs> um, uh, the bad news is it's probably going to be the last uh, at-bat of our entire season 
and you have to face um, literally the best pitcher probably of this generation. You're and going then, to be cold. You've never seen him before. Yeah. <laughs> His circumstances are, are almost yeah. unprecedented. But if it makes you feel any better, you're only going to be carrying the weight of this entire franchise in a city around it on your right. uh, on your very slender young shoulders. And then you have like two of the most sort of no- notable guys on the team. You know, where uh, Bryce Harper and Jason Wirth were on base. Yeah, just that's watching. Like having, that's like having like your really masculine uncles on base. And then it's like, come on. And then he gets up and... And it's like, yeah, like he looks like their nephew when he's out there because he's just like a little bit tiny and he's you, young. Uh, you might remember it. So when uh, when Defoe was batting, and to his credit, he lasted five pitches instead of the expected three. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at one point, uh, he came up and it was after one of the pitches. I'm sure if you talk to Harper or Worth or any of the Nationals, they'd tell you, okay, they've seen Defoe and they've seen Defoe play. He's got some hits in games. They've seen him in batting practice. They know he's talented. Of course, he's an uh, yeah, world-class baseball player, but... He's up there against Kershaw, and if it was after one of the pitches that wasn't the last one, where the camera cut to Harper, like it, it panned to Harper's face mm-hmm. uh, off whatever second base. I think it was on second, maybe he's on first. I don't know. It cut to him, and I wondered in that instant, what is Bryce Harper actually thinking? Like, does he think he's going to have to run, or is he just like, this is this we're doomed? Because, <laughs> like, do you think players are that honest about their teammates? Because it, it's. What I felt when Defoe came up was, oh, the game is over. Mm-hmm. He's going to get out. Yeah. He is not going to come close to a hit, and he's going to get out. In reality, what do you think? I mean, there are obviously ways to f- figure this out, um, to model it hypothetically. Mm-hmm. But in in reality, when he stepped in, what do you think like his his platonic on base percentage was at that point? Well, let's see. I don't know. What do batters hit against Kershaw? Like two hundred, maybe a little less. I don't yeah, know. Right. Let's call average hitters. Let's say they bat against Kershaw 200. Let's say Defoe's true talent is batting like, I don't know, probably 200, maybe 225. No, no, so, I think I think he's higher than that. I think he's I think he's probably he? 250. He makes quite a bit of contact. Oh, he makes quite well. a bit of contact. He's not like totally miserable. But but to your point regarding the, was he was he actually pinching or had he entered the game? He'd entered the game. I or was he pinching? I don't know. He was a late replacement in any okay. case. So he had not batted before, before that plate appearance. Right. So he so, might have had essentially the equivalent of a pinch hit penalty. Right. And uh, and in the minors, Defoe this year hit 259, which isn't great for his career. He's hit like 260. So Defoe is a he's a below average hitter. I think we can agree. He's a at least a little bit below average hitter. Kershaw is the best pitcher on the planet. Uh, platoon advantage or whatever. Kershaw's Kershaw. I think Defoe. Maybe you expect a hit there, like. One out of five at bats, maybe one out of six. That's not plate appearances, but I figure he's probably not going to walk. Right. He doesn't really walk. Kershaw's not going to walk him. So it was. It wasn't certain doom. And it, in the same way, I think you could you could figure, oh, if if Defoe stings the ball to the corner and then the Nationals win, you can see how that would kind of make sense too. You know, because oh, they're all world class players and whatever. He hit a line drive. Everyone does it. But it it felt to me like it was over when Murphy mm-hmm. popped out. And I really, really wish I could get an honest answer out of Bryce Harper to see what he thought at that moment in time. Because especially when he watched the first two swings that Defoe took against Kershaw, they're like, no, he doesn't stand a chance. He was way behind the fastball. Like, horribly behind it. Even his foul ball sucked. <laughs> Even his foul ball sucked. The, Wilm- the Wilmer Defoe story. <laughs> That's not a great one. Like, so now, now, what... 
what do you think Wilmer Defoe was going to be thinking all offseason? Like, he had such a small role in the national season, the good parts and the bad parts, but he he was the end of it. He was the last vision that any I don't think it'll affect... I, well, I mean, I think that... Uh, um, I think he'll be fine with it, just like I think Anthony Rendon would be fine with it, because I think that one thing that athletes do particularly well is process failure. Uh-huh. Uh, and I think, the, like, unless you have a like a spectacular failure in front of like a Bill Buckner style uh, gaffe. I think that you the chances that you retain th- that sort of thing, especially mm-hmm. when it wasn't uh, the, you, you, it was never going to be a positive outcome. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think that that's ever a big, a big f- factor. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's ever sticks, stays with those guys. I wonder like if, you're walking around the street. You're in bath. You're going for a oh, walk. Yeah. And then, uh, and then so you see someone collapse nearby, and somebody else runs over and mm-hmm. says, "Hey, that person needs medical help. Here are tools. Go perform surgery. You are the only hope to save that man's life with surgery or woman. I don't know who collapsed. And then you go over and you butcher the surgery, presumably." And the person is far worse off afterward than than the individual was before. Probably dead, at least bleeding a lot. And I feel like even though you are under no circumstances expected to be able to perform in that situation, still you'd go home and be like, "Oh God, I f***ed up that surgery." Wait, why? Why? Why are you coercing me to perform surgery? I'm not. Just to be clear, I'm not the stranger coercing you to perform surgery. But such a stranger does exist. So there's a, this a- who wants me to do surgery. Right, which is not to say that Wilmer Defoe is the baseball equivalent of you as a surgeon, but, you know, kind of, like, mm-hmm. even under those circumstances, I think that you feel the guilt of having failed, even in an almost impossible situation. I would. Here's what I would have done. I would have said that I was maybe hiking with, like, Carson, you're hiking with your wife, yeah. and then uh, she is injured and and you need to perform an emergency tracheotomy. Uh-huh. That that I think is more because first of all the stakes are a lot higher because uh-huh. it's just a stranger in the street versus my wife. Uh-huh. Obviously I'm thinking this this is essential to me. Think of how think of how horrible my life would be w- without her. I would well, just Well you, you are know, living it right now, right? She's out of town? Yeah, she's out of town, but just briefly. I mean if when your spouse leaves briefly Oh, it's it's beautiful. It's blessed. <laughs> but if I knew it was for a long term, then I would, then you know I would be. Uh, I just honestly I picture myself like in a like it's a, like a like a kiddie pool, like a depressing kiddie pool. Uh huh. Like like most kiddie pools featuring yeah, adults. But, yeah, but no, but I mean like it's not. It does not have like you know there's usually like decals or something on it. Uh-huh. It's not for Frozen, right? Which is, you know, <laughs> or it's not for like a, um, what is the thing where like, um, like one of them, oh, like a pet, like pet's life or whatever, like where the animals talk, you know? Sure. Like it's for, it's for like an off-brand version of GoBots or, or something <laughs> like that. You know, it's old. It's old and I'm just sitting in it. It's faded by the sun. The plastic, I don't know if you call it threadbare, Whatever the plastic is worn thin, so this the it could explode at any time, and it's somehow it's filled with not my not water, but my own perspiration, <laughs> and I have a pair of like khaki style pants on, 
and but like in, gathered in the in the crotch area is my own perspiration, like pooling up, like it, like there's been a downpour. Uh-huh. That's uh huh. That's what I think of. So um, it's a vivid image. I'm just of trying you to as hey, a single listen, man reporting, reporting from the front lines of of my imagination. That's that's all I can do. <laughs> now, how do you suppose that your spouse would feel about you being out of the picture? What sort of pool would she find herself in? She'd go to France immediately. She's told me that. We actually, our neighbor, just like two, three days ago, I, I made an offhanded comment about like d- divorce, and uh, <laughs> as one does, yeah. And then uh, I'd be like, "Oh, I'd be, I'd be a problem for me." And Callie'd be like, "Nah, not me. I just go to France." <laughs> So In go. fact, I have uh, I have this binder of uh, my plans. <laughs> here are all the here are, it's an updated binder of available positions for which I would be qualified. I update it once a week. Yeah. <laughs> Here's my safe house and my short term residence. Yeah, those are some other examples of things in the binder. Of course. Yeah, well, you know, people you some people are attracted to preparation. Yeah. Thorough, uh, thorough, exhaustive. Worst case scenario preparation. It's it's like having a disaster kit for like an earthquake or a or a hurricane. It's like yeah. well, you know, some people just want to make sure that they've kept track of their batteries and flashlights. Are you describing yourself? I don't I'm think so. Currently describing the your your spouse. Well, I think yeah, I think she's ready for. I think she's ready for it. So you are the reason that you're not in France. I am the reason she's not in France. Yes. Huh. Yeah. I guess now your house that you own is the reason you're not in France. Yeah. That's the other reason. Yeah. Oh, Jeff. Right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Jeff, uh, Jeff's small hole. Jeff, small, little, dark do hole. You, would you say that your interest in the, like, your ranked interest in, in terms of the teams you'd like to win the World Series is roughly in inverse order of of how recently those teams have won the World Series? No, because I... Well, I don't know what kind of blowback this is going to cause, but I don't think I'm rooting for the Cubs, and they've won the World Series not at all recently. I don't know, I don't know what you make of droughts, because like the Mariners and the Nationals and, and the Rangers have never won the World Series, right? But they've also existed for considerably less time than the Cubs. So who has it worse? The team that hasn't won for a century or the teams that have never won but have only existed for 40 years? Who has it worse? I don't know the answer to that. Like, is, is is the Nationals drought more meaningful than the Cubs? Just, or is the Cubs, I don't, whatever. But the point is to say, I don't think I want the Cubs to win, and it doesn't matter why, but the reason I always bring up is because of look what happened with the Red Sox fans after they won in 2004, oh, and it was, you'd like to put them right back in the in the bottle, but you uh, you can't. It's undone. They've been released. They spread like locusts, and and it, then they won three world championships in ten years. Do you think, it's I, important, I, do you think there's, there's something valuable about having one team around that just has that sort of uh, streak of futility? You know, I really do. I know it sounds kind of silly, but, mm-hmm. like, I love that the Cubs are the franchise that has that identity, that they just never win. You know, this is a classic trope through through stories and comics and other things that people would read or observe, where you just have 
that individual that just never quite gets Charlie Brown, right? And I don't want baseball to lose that. Not that I think about it every day. I don't go around chanting like 1908 or 1906. It's embarrassing. I forgot which one it is. But 1908. It, it doesn't. It doesn't matter acutely to me, but I love that it exists in the way where like. Okay, so so the Ottawa Senators have a new coach, and uh, their new coach, his name is Guy Boucher. He was previously the coach of the Tampa Bay Lightning, and he he implemented this defensive system that was very passive on the forecheck. This isn't that part isn't interesting, but it was a difficult system to break into as the team with the puck. It was difficult to gain the offensive zone. Do you know what I mean yet? Vaguely. Okay, so it was Wait, just. Why, it was, why would you be passive about the forecheck? If you, you just you'd be, be like waiting, you'd be waiting for the other team to come at you. So you would just kind of like set up a trap in the middle of the ice, oh, so okay. that it was difficult for the other team to advance. So it it was a, a somewhat novel system, and it was difficult to break through. And there was a game where they were playing, I think, the Philadelphia Flyers. It was, and the Flyers were frustrated by this defensive system, and they elected to make sort of an honest mockery of it, where they had their own player with a puck. Every so often, teams will break out from behind their own net. A player will have the puck behind his own net. His teammates will skate forward, and then he will go from there. He'll pass, and then they'll they'll move. It's great. Mm-hmm. So what they did, they they had their player with the puck behind his own net, and then he stayed there, and he just stayed there with the puck for minutes. I feel like it was minutes, and then the, at some point the referee had to blow his whistle, be like, "This is there's nothing happening. <laughs> there's nothing happening at all. The game is going, but I'm going to stop the game. And please don't do that again." And then before too long, the Flyers did it again where their own player had the puck behind his net, and he just stood there. And his teammates did nothing, and the other team did nothing, and the game moved on until the referee blew his whistle. Is I there don't anything, want to watch no, but The that. referee blew his whistle, but is there anything actually uh, officially uh, cr- creating the need for them to move? I don't know. I haven't. I didn't look at the rule book. Uh, I haven't. I never took the time to check. I'm sure it's one of those like delay of game is up to the referee's discretion. But this is also a, an almost unprecedented situation. And I don't want to be a fan who's watching that happen at all. That's the most unpleasant. That's anti sports. But I I absolutely love that it has happened. Mm-hmm. It's it's among the things that I I love that it does exist in the way that I don't want managers to not use Zach Britton in situations like Buck Showalter because that's stupid, but I love that it does happen. I forgot what where this began, but No, it's whatever. an interesting point though. Things that well there life is populated by a number of things that you are glad to have lived through, but would not currently like to be living through, right? Yeah, like this podcast. Yeah. Like being a teenager. Yeah. Yeah, that was a bad one. I wore yeah. a lot of undershirts. Wait, like multiple undershirts at the same time? Oh no, not like a, not like a Joey Tribbiani situation. Like long sleeve undershirts under everything. Like that was, that was. I don't know. Like my school had a uniform. I think it was one of the only ways I could like show my own sense of. I wouldn't call it style, but hide my arms is a better way to put it. <laughs> there's, famously, there's one thing that the Jeff Sullivan always wanted. And that's no arms. <laughs> always, always wear dark colors so they blend into the shadows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And lead against something with dark colors. Yeah, they used to call me the armless butthole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Little dark guy. <laughs> 
It's actually maybe the worst meaning that I could imagine. It's not even one that I would imagine because why would you have? Why would that be a name? Do you think it's actually if Jeff if Sullivan actually meant butthole? <laughs> do you think that that's is that a, is that an improvement? As opposed to little dark eye. Yeah. I guess there's there's some value in the bluntness of it, but I would wonder why it would be such an. I, well, now I wonder what is what is little dark eye. What what else would it mean? I think it's because it's it's. Uh, my guess is it's, you know, these Irish people. Irish people they speak in in meter and verse, mm-hmm. and so it probably is just oh you got a wee little dirty. And this is how they all, you know, your name is Sutterberg. It was actually spelled in Sutterberg and Sutterberg. We uh, truncated it here in the United States. We just say butthole. Are you looking it up? <laughs> I'm not looking it up. No. Yeah. I believe I mean, it's actually O'Sullivan that means little dark guy. I don't know the significance of the O and the apostrophe that have been dropped from my name since I, I think it Ellis means Island. Of, doesn't it? The of Sullivan? It's like Mick in, in Scottish. Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. I think that for a change, I am correct, Jeff Sullivan. Yeah. Where are we at now? <laughs> just just trying to get to that 60-minute mark. Is that what this is? Yeah, we may not. That's just, fine. Just trying but to I drag think it's it actually, it's been, it's been way more substantive than I anticipated. And it turns out it's exhausting. <laughs> When when you when you're trying to produce something, uh, uh, you know that's cohesive. It's kind of to bring this back to the the Dodgers game. A lot of people were asking. I just had my chat again. I don't know when this is going to be published, but I just had my chat on Friday morning, and a lot of people were asking, like, so how does Clayton Kershaw line up now for the NLCS? He was supposed to start Game Two, but now he just worked out of the bullpen. Uh, and on the one hand, it was his throw day. Like he would usually throw in the bullpen on yesterday's schedule anyway, mm. but he came into a game, but in the game he threw seven pitches, which is an insignificant number of pitches. You could, you or I could go throw seven pitches and not be sore a day later. So it gets interesting because you, you talk about how this uh, unusually substantive podcast was draining, even though it's shorter than usual, and it gets into an interesting question of, well, how much... Does the adrenaline of having pitched in a game situation matter to Clayton Kershaw's arm and and generalized level of fatigue? Uh, and I don't know the answer to that. So I don't know how much the Dodgers know about how they're going to use their starting pitchers in the LCS because I don't know if they know how Clayton Kershaw is going to feel after throwing seven important pitches. Well, yeah, because uh, there's no – so there, I assume there's – I'm sure there's multiple ways to do it. Two that occur to me immediately – um, are as follows. One, you look for you look for precedent, right? Mm-hmm. And we say, well, if this pitcher himself hasn't done it, of course, his physiology is you know unique in him to, to some degree, but is also very similar to other people who've pitched. Mm-hmm. How many other people have thrown, you know, this number of pitches on this amount of days rest? There's not a very large sample for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you must then you can maybe turn to something that's a little bit more. Like actually scientific, which is, uh, what does it actually do to your various muscles to to throw on this shorter day's rest, and what what do Kershaw's look like today? 
And not even just to throw, because he would usually throw on one day's rest, but just to throw pitches that matter as opposed to a casual bullpen. But how casual are his usual bullpens? How much pressure was he feeling in the game? It's really interesting in a way where I don't know how you study it, short of cutting Clayton Kershaw literally open and examining his body. And even that, I don't know what that would tell you because this is mostly about mental fatigue. Well, but. they would tell you immediately that he would have he wouldn't be able to pitch much at all because <laughs> he'd have to stitch him up. They, well, they should <laughs> probably open up the other shoulder and maybe put an arthroscope in to get a look at the left. I don't know. I don't know how they do it. Medicine's amazing, but it's uh, hey, it's going to be interesting. Question? Yeah. If you were a pitcher in Major League Baseball, mm-hmm. what would be what role? All the possible roles. You, you see. Jeff Sullivan is a pitcher on this team. What role would you want? What would be your ideal role? I think it would be fun to start. Yeah. Uh, I think that given that I am averse to pressure, it would be most fun to be a, a mop-up man from which little is expected. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, you you then are pitching with the fewest eyes, and I feel like your your numbers might be inflated because when mop-up men are pitching, the other team is like, oh, it's in the back. So they might not be trying so much. So then you get to feel better about yourself. And people will not have negative things to say about you because by the time you pitch, it doesn't matter. So right. there's, there's appeal there. Low. Yeah, the the imaginary alpha version of me would love to be a starting pitcher who's like, I never want to give the ball to my relievers. Just nothing but complete games. But I think realistically, I'd be a a bad mop-up man. Or like literally, like you wouldn't ever hand the ball to a reliever. Like you're just like on the team bus. And they'd be like, hey, Jeff, can you hand me that ball? They'd be like, I never hand a ball to a reliever. <laughs> Jeff, I see what you're doing, but this is – you're being very literal because we're actually just in the bus and I want to look at that baseball you got there. I'm working on a grip with my friend, other pitcher over here. He just handed it to us. I never hand the – I'm Jeff Sullivan. I never hand the ball to a reliever. Jeff, you're also a super <laughs> – it turns out. I live by one rule, and I keep every baseball that I have ever held. My pockets are full of baseballs. And my voice is more strained and deep than it would have been in an alternate universe. I am exhausted from lugging around every baseball I have ever held. Do not open my luggage. It is my curse. (laughs) I could have... Got in the storage facility. I'm realizing. Too late. <laughs> Too many baseballs to manage. <laughs> I am a professional hoarder. <laughs> and that would be a condition. I have a clause think... in my contract. Baseball. This would be a, be a dumb skit. <laughs> it already is. It is not even fleshed out. Yeah. I think that that player would be bad for team chemistry and also for the team's ERA. <laughs> and also for himself. If uh, if you just pitch only complete games. Well, now imagine now imagine King Midas as a starting pitcher, and he can't hand the baseball. Well, first of all, he can't he can't use a baseball, <laughs> but he 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 also cannot hand the baseball. To somebody else. That would King Midas is a baseball teammate. Also, bad sketch, but better sketch than the previous one. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, uh, King Midas. What he only so every time he touches the ball, it turns to gold, right? Yeah. And what would we know about a pitcher throwing a gold ball? Um, uh, harder. Uh, I say the seams are the same amount raised. I don't know if that helps uh-huh. or not. 
Uh-huh. So have the you... ball would weigh a lot more. I don't okay. remember the density of of gold, but it's more than leather and rubber. Okay. I can tell you that much. Yeah. Uh, so the ball would uh, would be extremely heavy for a baseball. Uh, King Midas would probably have a challenge throwing it uh, accurately. Perhaps he's used to it because his entire life he's been throwing golden baseballs. Uh, and hitters would never hit a fly ball uh, beyond the outfield or beyond the infield because the ball would be so heavy and it would shatter bats. Uh, it would break. It would break fingers. Regardless, uh, the, the batters could find the precise optimal launch angle, but it would uh, would be almost meaningless. Yeah, and then you know, you know, if, if you put if you put if you put King Midas on the A's, it's the only way. It's the only way Michael Semyon could have a gold glove. Yeah, yeah there yeah. you go. Yeah, <clears throat> and then Marcus Semyon would be like, "Why did you touch my glove? It's worse. It's worse now. My problem then, is throwing anyway." Now I gotta go call my Zuno and ask him to send me a regular glove. Stop touching my. Do you think King that Marcus Midas. Semyon did or did not have a positive fielding grade this year? I think he actually had a positive one this year because he, he got rid of the throwing errors, if I recall. Yeah. I think, uh, let's see. UZR says, ah, this is just <clears throat> negative four runs. Uh, he It was Ron Washington, I think, who was working a lot with Semyon, right, on his defense. Yeah, I, I think, think that, that was the story. Right, yeah. And so recently, it didn't make the news because nobody cared, but the Braves hired Ron Washington to be, I think, their third base coach, some sort of coach. Yeah, they just they just hired him. And the A's, it turns out, were like, yeah, that's fine. Go, go to the Braves. We just ah. want to do what's best for Wash. And it's such a low-profile move that... I think it, it kind of tells you, okay, great, good for the A's. They they did a nice thing for a nice man, but also like, how little did they value Ron Washington that they're just like, yeah, go away, that's fine. <laughs> I know you made Semyon better, but we're not gonna we're not gonna miss you. Well, if it's a promotion, is it a promotion? Uh, I I believe it's the same job. Huh. Yep. Yeah. Just like well, Carson, I uh, I think you've fulfilled your obligation. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think I did. Yeah. Oh, it's exhausting. Yeah. What do you got? What do you got for the rest of the day? Well, uh, because of how late the game went, and then how long I was writing about it, and I because I had a chat this morning, I didn't sleep oh, a yeah. lot. So uh, I think my obligations are finished for the day. So I think I'm gonna have a little nappy nap. Oh, and then uh, yeah, I got a birthday celebration coming up tonight. Is it your myself. birthday? It's coming up on my birthday. This okay. is the day that we chose. To uh to observe it, and so I'm not going to watch the Blue Jays and the Indians, which is fine. Yeah, that's fine. That's you're fine. You'll be okay. That's fine. Yeah, it's your birthday. Yeah, so I'm going to take a little nap. It's going to be great. Yeah, I'm going to take a nap. I'm about to take a nap too. Yeah. Bring my dog to the dog park, and then uh, go have a beer by myself at a new Ooh. restaurant in town. That's fantastic. Yeah, sounds nice, right? And yeah. I got all these friggin' I got to finish my friggin' Hardball Times piece. Oh yeah, that's Swiden, right? I made some headway though, so I'm happy about that. Yeah, that uh, that project always stresses me out for two and a half months, and then I do it all in a day and a half. Yeah, yeah, I do. Uh, I wait till I start having just like I'm not saying real anxiety attacks, just mostly anxiety attacks. It's like, just one of those things where like you have it on your to do list, and it just hangs over your head forever. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Love Swiden though. What are you writing about? Doing a review of the first Fringe Five season, mm-hmm. and 
<clears throat> then I'm using some work by McKinney. Mm-hmm. Not Mark McKinney. He was on Saturday Night Live and Kids in the Hall. McKinney from Royals Review. Scott McKinney? Did mm-hmm. I just say Scott McKinney? So. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, I think so. I think so. Um, he, uh, to see if, um, like, you know, uh, so so what he did was he looked at graduation rates or, you know, like uh, how Baseball America Top 100 Prospects had done, you know, relative to their rankings. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what I'm trying to figure out. Mm-hmm. Uh, like if you would, like, did I do any better than just like someone choosing random prospects who weren't in the top 100? Yeah, and uh, Scott McKinney and you just you just told us privately in the Fangraph Slack about your new almost connection to Sherman Johnson. Yeah, that's right. Is this yeah. your favorite? Yeah, uh, yeah, yep. Fringe Five seems to have a a very strong track record. And if from talking to, I talked to David Force a little bit from my Hardball Times annual article. Oh yeah, okay, yeah. And uh, and as part of a conversation, we talked a little about Jarrell Cotton. Yes, and I was asking, I was asking him like, so what do you what do you think the chances are that like Cotton is an actual starter in the major leagues? And he's like, extremely high. We uh we love Cotton, and we are very excited to have him in our rotation. So the A's the A's are all about it, which I think we already knew because they selected for having Cotton in the first place. But yeah, they did, they did kind of go out of their way. <laughs> so a uh, big big potential win there for yeah. French Five. Yeah, Jarrell Cotton, pretty exciting. Yeah, Wait, that what whole did you A's rotation. Oh boy! I uh, let's see. Do they still have Sonny Gray? Sonny Gray is still there, and he's not unexciting. There's Sean Manea, who got better over the course of the oh, year. Yes, Andrew Triggs, Sullivan favorite, Cotton Sestuli favorite, uh, Kendall Graven is there as whatever he is, and uh, and yeah, I don't know really what's after that. But oh, they got yeah, those Andrew five. Triggs had a Andrew Triggs had a strange year, didn't he? Triggs is great. A, tra- a strange career, career and year, career and year. Mm-hmm. Andrew Triggs was your favorite quiet waiver claim. That's true, and uh, and then the A's turned him into a starting pitcher. Did you expect that? Oh no, no, not at all. I thought he was just going to be a neat reliever, a neat reliever, a neat little reliever. And then they're like, oh, you can uh, you can start. And then uh, one of the fun facts about Triggs' season is that he had like almost five times as many strikeouts as walks. Another fun fact is that in games in which he appeared, the Oakland Athletics had two wins and twenty-two losses. Oh. <laughs> hey, that sounds like he occupied a similar role to the one you'd like to. Yeah, but, I like that. Because he actually was pretty good at preventing runs, so I assume that they, it wasn't his fault every time. Oh, no, no, the team was just terrible. But uh, yeah. Forrest had noticed that at some point. I think I had tweeted it or put it in an article or something. And Forrest was like, don't tell Bob Melvin. He loves Andrew Triggs, and that stat would break his heart. No. Yeah. Well, I guess oh. Bob Melvin could put Andrew Triggs into more wins then. Well, there's there's a problem. The wins are in short order in Oakland. Yeah, but there's two, so two to twenty two seems like quite a quite a ratio. Yeah. Although on the plus side, on the plus side, he did end uh, one and one. So in the sample of his last two games, it was superior than in his first twenty two games in which his appearances he went one and twenty one. Yeah. Yeah. Hey Jeff, I think you've fulfilled my obligation. All right, I'm out of here. Yeah. Let's say let's say goodbye. Jeff, let's do it. Carson. I'll say this, I'll say thank you, Jeff Sullivan. Uh-huh. Thank you, and Carson. Yeah, and then I'll say that has been Jeff Sullivan, uh, senior editor at fangraphs.com. I'm Carson Sestuli. We've been Fangraphs Audio.